slide to the left, slide to the right. Take it back now, y'all. Two, two hops this time. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. My name is Kirsten Cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk and together with my co-host Lindsay from lindsaydoeslanguages.com, we talk about anything and everything interesting from the world of learning another language. Hey Lindsay, how's it going? Hello, good thank you. How are you? Dwin da Jaun Dioch. Ah. <laughs> you uh, know, you've heard that one before, right? Yeah. You, you, you're also, you're still good. Dal, you're still. Yeah. Um, ah, not Dal, but Da. Da Jaun. Oh, okay. You, you're yeah, good. Like, yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's right, because you're on a little bit of a Celtic adventure. Yeah, I suppose you could call it that. Mm -hmm. How's it going? Yeah, it was really good. It's really interesting. Um, Welsh and Manx and Cornish and Scottish Gaelic, all learning them together a little bit to uh, prepare for language stories filming later on this year. How are you going about doing four languages together? Interestingly, <laughs> um, so I talk about that a lot. I've always studied multiple languages, right? But I've never quite done four from scratch at once, especially especially similar languages, you know, from the same, not similar, but from the same language family, right? So um, it's really good because I am seeing where these similarities are, where the differences are. So, you know, Welsh and Cornish are more related and then Manx and Scottish Gaelic are slightly more linguistically related but they're obviously still completely different to each other so yeah I'm really enjoying it so far. Are we calling it Gaelic or Gaelic and why? Uh, don't ask me the why I think in English <laughs> I think you can say Gaelic but I think it's like it's like saying maybe um Filipino and Tagalog. Oh I see yeah 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 you know, like Farsi and Persian. I think it's that. So Gaelic is a local way of As far as I it. know, please, please write to us and correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't looked too far into that yet. Yeah. So I think, yeah, you would say Scottish Gaelic mm -hmm. would be more. Fabulous. I think, I think, I don't know. You asked me the hard question. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you know why people say Gaelic or Gaelic, please, please tweet us. It's at The Fluent Show or on Instagram, hashtag The Fluent Show, and we'll find your answer. I'd love to know. <laughs> It'd yeah. be interesting. And do you find, I, I've actually just done an episode about language families. So this is an interesting uh -huh. follow-up question. Are you finding it, I, are you coming down team, this is easier or team don't ever do this again or team I will always do this now or team still harder than just learning one or what's the general gist here the general gist is kind of how I felt before in that it's not harder it's just slower right so you know if you're not in a particular rush or you know you're not aiming for like fluency then it works and for someone like me you know if you've ever found yourself thinking oh yeah but I'm curious about that language and why am I learning this one I could be learning that one right then this is a perfect way to get a bit of all of it in so yeah progress is is slower but it's also supported by the fact that they're in the same language family you know I think it would be much harder if it was like I'm gonna learn Thai and Ojibwe and also Spanish and then also <laughs> you know I don't know Swahili right just completely unrelated that would be you'd, you'd still be you'd still be able to do it but you wouldn't be able to kind of fall back on those connections that you'll be forming as you learn languages from the same family at the same time so yeah in that sense I'm feeling like boom right after this I'm on Catalan like <laughs> Romanian <laughs> come at me you know so yeah 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 I I mean I've done sort of bits together I've never done four new ones together from scratch at the same mm. time but I guess I've had times where I've done maybe because I never dropped French during school and then I took Italian and then I took Latin and then I took Spanish right 
but it it was never it was never like the other ones weren't different. It was never like oh, I'm actually learning the same language, just ever so slightly different. Like Italian and French are different enough. Yeah, Spanish and French sure. are different enough. For sure, yeah. I don't want to downplay that. Yeah, they're definitely definitely different. And but it's and it's really subtle things that I'm noticing that are similar. Like you know, um, uh, let me think of an example. Um, uh, so the word for to learn in Welsh, dusky, dusky. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dusky, lovely, yeah. Lovely little word. Right. They're it's all lovely. Very. <laughs> it's very, very similar in Cornish. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's literally dusky, I think. So stuff like that, you're like, OK, boom, instant solid connection. Whereas to speak, you know, in Welsh should be Sharad. And then in Cornish, it's Kauzel. Oh, right. Not not really. Yeah, not really much. Not really much there. Nothing in common. Right. So, so yeah, I, I love the kind of the, the comparison as you learn as well. So for me, it's the best, the best way to learn, not like the only way, but for me right now, this is the only way I could do this. Yeah. You know what? I think as a language lover's way of learning, I, I can absolutely see it. Mm. I can absolutely see it. Mm. Ah, well, I'm still, I'm still over here with the old, with the old Jungwen. Um, although it's, it's getting, I'm feeling ever so slightly more positive about Chinese. So, fingers crossed. Maybe I won't just run away screaming. <laughs> Lindsay, did you know that we have been mentioned on another podcast recently? A famous one as well. A famous one. Okay. A famous one. Well, it's not, you know, not serial or whatever. I'm, ex- I'm excited. <laughs> this is not in the podcast notes. So fill me in. No, no, it's, well, I didn't share it with you yet because, well, number one, I forgot, but number two, it's in German. It is the new Easy German podcast from the Easy German YouTube channel. Oh, sehr gut. Yeah, sehr gut. Die empfehlen nämlich jede, in jeder Folge empfehlen die eine andere Podcast oder irgendwas anderes, was beim Sprachenlernen hilft. They recommend another podcast or something else that might help you learn languages. Ah. And we've recently sort of been exchanging, I think Manuel's name is from the show and I, we've been exchanging emails and yeah, then the next thing I know, he sends me a little link and he says, oh, listen in at minute this and that and you'll be mentioned. So I'm going to put this in the show notes. And for you listeners, if you're German learners, do discover the Easy German podcast. It's brand new. They discuss topics from Germany and around the world. And if you like the Easy German YouTube channel, which I certainly do, I like yeah. all the Easy Languages channels. It's a great show to listen to. Yeah, I love that. I've been watching Easy Languages in Welsh lately. Oh, yes. collection I've been oh watching. did you see the one where they go to Machinfleth and kind of wander around in the little town uh is that oh okay the town yes yeah yeah oh, so cute it was yeah. really nice <laughs> was not that sun- that sunny when I was there but I'm looking forward to going back there this year cool mm. so easy German podcast I'm going to put it in the show notes find the episode that mentions the fluent show and then you'll get to hear what they said about us and we definitely do endorse each other. So mutual, mutual shout out there, Easy German and The Fluent Show. And Lindsay, you're also, this is your first episode with our new sponsor. I don't even know if you know who the new sponsor is. I I do know this because this is in the show notes, but yeah, (laughs) I I did notice. I was like, oh, that's new. Isn't that exciting? Very very cool. (laughs) When I first introduced it, I said, imagine me like with a loot under the window going, Link, please be the sponsor of the Fluent Show. I love you so. And I don't mean, maybe I should have sent them that and then they might have said, they might have said yes straight away. Yeah, I was going to say, is that how it happened? Just with a loot and wishful thinking. (laughs) Well, and a lot of emails back and forth. God, it's easy having a podcast. All you have to do is, you know, I, I, I played in the top tools jingle and they were in straight away. Nice. <laughs> so our sponsor at the moment for the Fluent Show, big shout out to an, a software, an app that is just so super helpful that, you know, I really was caught in them saying, please come on and be our sponsors because I know Fluent Show listeners would love this. Link, that's L-I-N-G-Q. I don't know if it's a silent G or a silent Q, whatever it is. Link is this super smart software that helps you quickly look up words that you don't understand in all of the content that you want to read, that you want to watch, any kind of subtitles, podcast transcripts. They've they've got it all. They've got loads and loads of great materials. So you could cut straight to enjoying what is going on. 
It started off as this sort of new approach to unblocking reading. And in the archives of The Fluent Show, you will hear lots of shows of people raving about Link. And Link has now changed quite a bit and you can do more with it than ever. It works with everything that you want to enjoy. Like I said, podcasts, uh, newsletters, YouTube, you can import your own books. You can basically translate your whole internet. And if you're a fan of the old flashcard, Link has got spaced repetition built in so you can study the words that you will need the most. Have you ever tried Link, Lindsay? I think we've mm. talked about it before. Mm, I have. It's very, very cool. Yeah, it's kind of a staple, isn't it? I've been yeah. I've been back on the link for Chinese at the moment, and it's it's just so satisfying to suddenly understand more. Mm-hmm. That's always so wonderful. Been using it for French, just sort of if I want to keep my French ticking over, um, I can select something from their endless news feeds, kind of advanced news feed, and just kind of read through it and go, yep. Yep, still speaking French. <laughs> so that's really cool. Nice. And I've been oh, they're still working on the Welsh, but there will be Welsh link at some point in the future. I think they've got over over two dozen languages on the go though. So listeners, if you've never checked it out, do do do. And there is a special offer, discount, haggled with the loot link. Will you give a discount to my listeners, please? Uh yes. <laughs> dum, 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 dum. And they said, yes, 35% for all your listeners. <laughs> and and your uh, subscription is for all languages, isn't it? I don't know that, actually. Oh, I need to check that out. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I've ruined all the right. perfect ad reel. No, that's my apologies. Um, it is sort of selected premium plans. So it's I think if you go on the monthly, you get 30%. And then if you go on the annual, you get 35%. But yeah, I've never seen anything about subscriptions for just one language. So yeah, no, once you're in, you're in with Link and you can make unlimited links, which are pretty much the flashcards that you need. It's a either way, it's an amazing deal, listeners. Do check it out. And the subscription <laughs> and just your checkout of the software. If you've never looked at it before, you can. It's it's freemium, so you can really, really put it through its paces for free. That's all at fluentlanguage.co.uk/slash/read-more. Fluentlanguage.co.uk/slash/read-more, or you'll find the link in the show notes as well. Thank you so much to Link. Thank you for being our sponsor. I'm gonna stop singing. <laughs> I will stop singing. Thank you so much to Link. And as always, thank you so much. Big high five to all of our patrons over on Patreon for supporting the Fluent Show and keeping us in your ears for free. All you have to put up with is my singing. Lindsay Williams. Hello. Shall we get to the topics of this show? Let's do it. I'm saying topics in plural because we are combining two topics in this episode. So ooh, we're going a bit experimental. We're going to talk about teaching methods, sort of one for the old, one for the teachers, and but also I think one for you as as learners. And really as online learners, a kind of a reflection of how, you know, how, what classroom learning can be like and what real life learning is like and then we'll spend a little bit of time giving you a preview of this year's big polyglot and language learners events that you can attend so you can hang out with other language learners IRL and let's start with teaching methods this came up because I was watching the show Karyat Atyaif no which... that's no? not that's not the show it's called Karyat Atyaif dum, da dum, da dum. <laughs> <laughs> I think they need the loot treatment, don't they? They do. They do. It's kind of retro. Like it, it's got this ampersand, not ampersand. What I, is it called? An the ad symbol sign. in the middle. I googled it. It's from 2012, I think. The series that you put me onto. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's it's so retro to put like a little at in in anything. <laughs> So it's called Karyat, which is the Welsh word for, for love. Karyat at Yaif, love for language. So I've been watching this show, which is, isn't it amazing that there's a reality show <laughs> about, about these people, about celebrities, and it's not like their big brother house, it's not they're in the jungle, it's not they have to eat, I don't know, crickets or whatever it is. No, no, they have to do the hardest thing on earth. They've got to learn Welsh. 
So, so this show is, it's a reality show. It runs on the channel S4C. It's, I don't think, yeah, like you say, I don't think they've made a series for a while, but essentially in this show, celebrities of, I don't know, you're the Brit. Tell me how celebrity they really are. Um, oh, I don't want to grade people. I'd heard of maybe half of them, but I'd, I'd, I'd only heard of maybe, yeah, about half. Let's be fair. That's not too bad. Ooh. So there's a former MP and there's a radio DJ. Josie Darby. She's the big one I'd heard of. Josie Darby. Okay, who's she? She's a kids' TV. Well, she was a kids' TV presenter and now she's a presenter. Yeah. So celebrities who are interested in learning Welsh. So, mm. let, yeah, I mean, fair enough. We're not going to get like Joss Whedon or, I don't know, Gwyneth Paltrow coming in and, and wanting to learn Welsh. Although she has a Welsh name, Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm. Never mind. Either way, listeners, we'll stop describing the show now. So essentially, it's it's a reality TV show with, with celebrities and they're learning languages. And the, sh the whole show is kind of like, it's. I was looking at it, I was like, oh, they're kind of going on, like almost on one of my language retreats, except with loads of cameras. Um, because it is, it's very, very immersive. So they really, they go and they stay at this... Um, kind of luxury camp they're doing glamping f really forest is what it's called it's yeah it's forest yeah f -f 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 forest <laughs> yeah the, the welsh word for forest is not forest but the, the it's sort of a welsh affected name of the of the place um, and forest is quite well known they sort of hold um i don't know and you pronounce it forest even though it starts with a double f well, the double F is what makes the F sound in Welsh. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, for forest, yeah. I like to call it for 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 forest <laughs> when I'm in my head watching <laughs> Cariadadiaith. <laughs> so Cariadadiaith in for for forest is these nine sort of eight or nine celebrities. I don't think anybody gets voted off. I think they just stay and and oh, that would be brutal. <laughs> so you're not Welsh enough. Nope. No, like like in real life, in language learning, everybody's welcome and your effort isn't graded uh, to some kind of extent where we kick you out. We want you in this, right? So mm -hmm. that's the same for Carrier at Yaif. They want the people in there. They stay at this sort of luxury camping kind of environment, sort of a little bit secluded. And then in the first lesson, the tutor says to them, we're going to be teaching you with with." a few different teaching methods and she talks through the teaching methods which then made me think that might be a, a really interesting podcast episode to talk through different teaching methods or different approaches to teaching and then by that we really come with like learning languages as well so first of all mm -hmm. there's there's definitely immersion in there it's not like they never like they don't instantly speak welsh to each other there are camps like that say something about to run a few boot camps so if you really want the absolute intense immersion you can do that, but it's almost, it's virtually impossible to stop people, you know, communicating in a language that they understand and feel comfortable in at some point. And I, I think that is fine. Um, having run several language retreats for now, I think it's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't break anyone's magic or anything like that. It's, that's that's mm. bobbins. But, you know, so first of all, they're in this immersive environment and they're taken out of their usual life, you know, partly because it's easier to film them if they're all together. But also, I think from a language point of view, the change of environment and this feeling of they're, they're kind of on holiday, right? That makes a difference. Do you, what do you think, first of all, of the immersive environment, Lindsay? Yeah. Did I ever tell you about fake Spain? Fake Spain? <laughs> Is it Portugal? I take that as a no. Is harsh. It, well, that's really harsh. Um, <laughs> so when I was doing my A-levels, we went on a trip, my teeny tiny A-level group of about seven or eight of us and we went to Derbyshire to stay in some youth hostely type place for this Spanish trip and it was a bit like that so it was supposed to be like immersion like we had lessons in the morning and then we were supposed to like eat and, and talk in Spanish at the dinner table and we watched Spanish films in the evening you know lots of like Almodova shoved down your throat like come on Spanish learning youth you gotta love Pedro. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And so me and my friend always refer to it as fake Spain because it was like the closest thing to going to Spain without actually going to Spain. So immersion, when I think immersion, I kind of think of that more so than going to a place 
you know, because that's the typical, right? Um, and I think it, I think it can be really good if it's intentional like that was and that's why I think of fake Spain more so because like you know just going to Spain on holiday for example in one sense is immersion like life around you becomes normally in Spanish but also it's not if you're then gonna stay in the hotel and watch Netflix in English for example you know so it has to be kind of intentional immersion which I think can happen anywhere Absolutely. Absolutely. And from my own language retreats, one of the other things that I've experienced with learners, when you, mm. when you have that immersion experience in particular, it's actually really helpful to have this tutor type person that is with you. Yeah. Because, you know, like, yes, you can do the whole, like, you can, you know, like, because that's the story. That's like the story everybody hears. And the one story we all, we all subscribe to is like, oh, I moved to China and then I became fluent in Chinese. And it's like, yeah, cool. But, but that's not most people's reality. And actually that's not most people's reality, even when they go there. Mm. So what I found with with the retreats, the difference that my um, like my participants report after is very often that the difference for them, even if the expats, they're already living in Germany, right? And they're still not speaking enough German or they feel uh, like there's a barrier to speaking German. But having a tutor there with you in that environment or having somebody who takes this teaching role, number one, it, it has the, if, if that's required, the kind of disciplinary element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never sure. really needed to enforce that. But in fake Spain, that was probably a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was quite chilled, but it was, it was still there. You still knew that you were on a school trip and that there were the teachers there, mm -hmm. you know. And the intention was that you were supposed to speak Spanish. That's it. Yeah, that's it. You know, and it's just a reminder, like, this is what we're here for. Right. And the second thing is that you have somebody who, because because the immersion environment brings up questions, brings, up, brings you to all of your limits, you've got somebody where in the moment, they will kind of take your hand and actually drag you out of your comfort zone a little bit yeah. or explain something to you so to kind of ease the path a little bit so you you have an you have an immersion environment yes absolutely but it's a facilitated immersion and that to me i think is it, it so that's clever and i think the way that they're going about it a career at yife career at yife is 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 very very good so immersion environment mm. from me it's a thumbs up definitely mm. Mm. in this in this sense that they're doing it on the show yeah i agree the next thing that they say then is oh we will teach you with three different methods tpr and it sort of says it on the blackboard so tpr communication or communicative and then story time mm. and something else that they say at the start is you're going to learn the natural way and that is something that we see very often. I think it's it's something that you say in a class. You can sort of say that and it reassures the learner. Uh -huh. But I don't think there is necessarily like a scientific. I've never I've read a lot of research about teaching and learning languages and I've never read anything where it's like the natural way is this. I mean, natural is a really funny word. Mm -hmm. Like when you see it on the packet of like food or, or toiletries and then you turn the box over and it says a list of chemicals and you think, oh, hang on. I thought it was made of pure bananas and angel's wings. And actually it's not. It's because, you know, technically a chemical can still be natural and it gets all really complicated. And so when you when you think about it in this sense as well, the natural way would be that second idea of immersion of just going to a place and having to force yourself to just kind of live and understand what's around you with very little effort on, on learning and actually not being in a classroom at all being in a classroom is kind of the and it's not it's not a bad way to learn a language but it is not the natural way to learn a language that's a really interesting one. That's true. And I mean, you can go one further and say, well, being an adult who learns a language, that's not the natural way of learning a language because a lot of people talk about it as children. So as soon as you're over five, you're not learning naturally yeah, anymore. Yeah, that's true as well. If you if we're gonna if you know if we're gonna take it all the way to that. So like you, I've got my I've got my issues with with natural and I try my best as well when I describe my courses or anything like that. You know, sometimes I will use it. And I use it to say, 
you will be making connections independently. You will be, you know, like you will be encouraged to think independently and you're going to feel comfortable about it. That mm. is kind of what I try to say, but there are at least 12 other ways that people use natural. So it's not, you know, it's not automatically a complete hoke, ho 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 hokey, hokey. That's the word, right? That I'm looking mm. for. It's not automatically hokey if somebody says you're learning in a natural way, but it certainly doesn't mean any single one thing. Yeah. Doesn't mean bad usually. Or they, they try. <laughs> it means we've tried to make this not so bad. Okay. So then they talk about TPR and the communicative approach and then stories. And um stories, I've kind of I've kind of written about this in, in the show notes around input theory. So I wanted to talk through these these three methods mm -hmm. and um give the listeners a sense of what they mean. Maybe you encountered them in your language lessons, maybe you're a language teacher and you're thinking about this. And Lindsay, I'm really happy to bring in your ex experience because you have spoken to your husband who mm -hmm. is a primary teacher from the primary teaching perspective. So you can kind of bring in your experience from your own podcast, Teach Languages Online, talking to Ash. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me fill people in who maybe listen to this and aren't teachers or don't listen to Teach Languages Online. So mm -hmm. on Teach Languages Online from time to time, I bring on Ashley, my husband, he's a primary school teacher, and we talk about either like pedagogical theories. So maybe he presents something to me and I kind of question it and see how you could apply it to language learning specifically, or I'll present like a language learning theory to him and he'll be like, hmm, I don't know about that, you know? So yeah, we talk about a few, I think we've done communicative. Um, I think that's the only one. We definitely haven't done TPR, not yet. Have anyway. you not? Okay, no, so no. let's talk about TPR and then you, this, this is your prep to talk, to talk about with Ash. <laughs> <laughs> TPR stands for total physical response which i think is the most extreme sounding name and it always makes me think like those you know hypnosis stage shows where you've uh -huh. got like a, a guy who's like and now you will raise your right arm and now you will i don't know cluck like a chicken or whatever this that's just oh that's that's, just, that's how it makes me feel total physical response makes me feel like i don't know we're being controlled somehow. Like little marionette strings. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that, luckily. So I don't know who gave it this name. Oh, it says so in my show notes. Though. Dr. James J. Asher gave it that name. So there we go. Dr. James J. Asher is the creator of Total Physical Response. That's what the British Council put on, on its information page, which is actually very good. So they've got a few medium good ones. And the British Council page for TPR, I thought, was really good. So that's in the show notes for you as well. Total physical response. It is based upon, or klaxon, the way that children learn their mother tongue. Aha. So now this is why it's the natural way, right? We said about children. This has got to be the natural way. Mm. Okay. So that's really, that's really that old chestnut again. In this context, TPR means that the learner is not expected to speak at the start, but instead to react and respond to cues from the teacher with their body. For example, look up and you look up, raise your hands, you raise your hands, that kind of thing. And that reminded me of something that we did in school, in primary school. So before I ever had a formal lesson, this is when I was about eight or nine years old. And I remember this super, super fondly. We sang, if you're happy and you know it. In English? Well, we sang it in the English language, yeah. Oh, cute. Yeah. Well, we also did Sur le Pont d'Avignon and, you know, very cosmopolitan oh, yeah. village. Frère Jacques. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, we did Frère Jacques. That well-known French word, ding, dong, dong, ding, dong, dong. All the useful words they teach you at such yeah, an early age. Matine, that's not a French word at all, but hey-ho. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you're happy and you know it, and listeners, if you don't know it, the, the song goes, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. If you're happy and you know it's, uh, I know, to turn around, that's one. Turn yeah, and uh, snap your fingers. I think, I'm just going to throw this out there, that this is the inspiration for Pharrell Williams' song, Happy. And I'm going to leave that where Lindsay threw it, because... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, but maybe, maybe TPR is in that as well. And, you know, like, think, we will rock you, right? That's got to move. The Macarena. Slide to the left. 
Slide to the right. Take it back now, y'all. Two hops this time. <laughs> so all these songs, maybe that's all TPR. Maybe we're all learning languages that way. So I remember singing that. And, and the, the, the idea of TPR reminded me of this. So over time, the learner then says the words as they do the actions, which means you're learning new expressions, you're learning new words. Mm. And it's really great, apparently, because um, it's got several proven benefits, which are that, first of all, it really boosts your memory as you are learning, because you're learning more than, you know, you're learning something that is stickier. You're learning a gesture, you're yeah. using your whole body. And that is that is true, right? Whenever you have new vocab going in, if you can find some kind of way of associating it with something else, emotion, an image, a sound, if you the more senses you can invo involve, the stickier that vocab is going to be. Point number two is it's fun, <laughs> which, you know, it's, it's subjective, but overall it's, it's, Woo, it's fun. I was going to say, yeah. And it, it speaks to varied learning styles. So it, some, you know, I, I don't fully subscribe to the VARC, the visual audio, mm -hmm. what, what are they? Video, visual audio, uh, kinesthetic. Visual audio, I think it's reading and then kinesthetic. We have done VARC. We have uh, reading. We have done VARC on teaching languages. You online. have, yeah. Yes, I enjoyed that episode. Yeah. And <laughs> the, I'm I'm as skeptical as Ashley is. So so yeah, if listeners, yeah, yeah. if if you think you're a visual learner, that's not like your horror. That's about you can believe that like your horoscope, or you can just go. <laughs> I have a slight preference for visual learning. You know. <laughs> I like horoscope. That's a good comparison. Mm, that's Ash. That's that is credit to Ashley. So. You can, you know, like you can believe in that in different ways, but the benefit of the TPR method is definitely that it speaks to several learning styles. Okay. Now, there are some disadvantages. So, Lindsay, can you guess any? Can you think of any? Have yeah. you tried this before? So, the first disadvantage that's coming to mind is maybe this is just from the examples that we've shared, but surely there's a limited amount of stuff that you can teach with this method of like it's all physical action so far right so like if you're happy you know it clap your hands look up raise your hands stand up sit down all of that it's very physical so you'd have to associate it at some point with things that are a little bit more abstract and i wonder if that would have the same memory recall yes Yes. So the note I wrote before um, I read more about it was, does this ever work for non-beginners? You know, if you're an intermediate learner, how's that going to help? Right. And it was later, like in the critiques of the critiques of the technique, they did say that this is really, this is really designed for beginners, designed for people who are early language learners. And then I wrote self-conscious students ah, okay. as a consideration as well. So something that they did in Karyatadjaif is um, practicing huilvaur, which is uh, goodbye, huilvaur, huilvaur. And they did it with sort of hand motions. Huilvaur, mm. huilvaur. And that sort of worked. And then the rugby player, the rugby player arrives late and he looks completely, he falls into this for me watching mm -hmm. it. Just he looks so awkward and very uncomfortable about the whole moving and nodding and sitting and standing and all of that stuff. Would you That's agree? That's it. Yeah, you need so a student. You, you know, think, you need a group of students who are really yeah, who are here for it. Yeah, but I do want to just as we've been talking this, I have been thinking of a potential benefit. If you were to do this in a very intentional way, you could actually teach a sign language mm -hmm. at the same time as the other oral and written language. And the reason I say that, it's not doesn't at first you might just think, oh, she's just making this up. We spoke to people in Laos that are in the Language Stories season two episode Teaching English in Laos. Um, we spoke to people who do this. It's called Momo Sign. Um, and they teach, I think they teach English, but they also teach Lao sign language at the same time. So they use it in the classroom for this in this kind of total physical response kind of aspect right to then and then the kids are then learning two languages at once oh that is excellent yeah that's, and that's a really sensible way of using it that makes more sense to me mm -hmm. which is which is it's just it's just uh, an extension of this really that's it that's it and then you could you could probably go quite far 
and you may still indoor. I think then at, that, at, at some point you're diverging from the TPR idea and you're kind of riffing on it. Mm. But I can see how I can see how that would really really help. So I think we. Yeah, I think we we kind of we're not against this method certainly. Um the other issue with it perhaps if you're teaching a sign language at the same time you can sort of you could maybe cover it. I would I would be interesting to see that in to see how that works for like large groups of people. Um it doesn't really have any capacity for teaching grammar rules as such. Yeah. Like I can sort of But the grammar maybe, would be absorbed in a natural way, Kirsten. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> How Who could needs you to forget? know grammar? Like we never need to explain anything because everything will me magically. No, I don't. I, I don't believe that. Sorry, I'm a German teacher. We explain stuff because people need it. But <laughs> other okay. So so TPR. I'm kind of I'm I'm here for it. I would never use it as my one and only method um, if I'm working with with a group. But I think it would work. It would work in a group. It would work with a an online teacher in a one to one environment. I don't see why it wouldn't. Yeah, I don't see why not, especially if you're teaching young children and like trying to keep them focused on a screen. That's it. You know, you can use this as a way to get them moving around and looking at you at the same time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just think Baby Shark. Do, 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 do. do, do, do. So maybe, okay, so TPR, I think maybe there's a big like uh, gap in the market for teaching TPR with music um, is what we're feeling. Um, I've, a few variations or a few ideas, other thoughts that I had was that if you have more advanced learners, so Lindsay mentioned the combining it with sign language, which I think is amazing. And um, for, for our polyglot listeners who want to learn every language under the sun, like, there's an opportunity. Um, I think acting in a play might also be Ooh. a good way of bringing that in. I like acting. And yeah, me too. And you can bring in like literature at the same time. And it's a way, you know, if you have the more advanced learners, mm. that would be a way of really bringing it forward. And, you know, le you're learning your lines. So you're automatically learning words and you're acting things out. And you're thinking about what the character means. So I can imagine it would make things really memorable. And then I also wanted to give a shout out to Burn and Learn with Anja Spilke, who came up with this little. Uh, sort of it's a video series at the moment on youtube right where she's teaching german with fitness exercises mm -hmm. have you tried it i haven't tried it i did well actually i didn't do the women in language one because i watched it because i was eating my dinner <laughs> <laughs> um, but i was there <laughs> um but yeah i love this i think movement in general and exercise in particular. Like I find if I'm listening, I can't just sit and listen to a listening exercise. I find that really distracting. But I found that walking and listening, like for example, to the say something in Welsh, Cornish and Manx, right? Mm -hmm. As I go for a walk at the same time, it really helps me to just focus in. I just walk around the same loop. I know where I'm going. You know, not like a, not like a small crazy lady, like just a little tiny loop, but like, a, you know, decent two kilometers. But that's helped. So yeah, I can definitely get get on board with this. Yeah. Oh, you're bringing back memories of me walking around in, in Lancaster where I used to live and just sort of mumbling to myself, like, Mahindeid, Bohisha. Oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> you know? I, I do the mumbling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the mumbling's important. Yeah. Okay, so I want to move on to our next theory or next approaches. So the second thing, it's it picked up from story time. So I wanted to give a background to this idea of teaching through stories, story time. Obviously, I do it in the German Uncovered course. And what's all this about? And we hear a lot this name, this name, dun, 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 Stephen Krashen. I, I, I made a Krashen klaxon once on an episode before. So <laughs> Stephen Krashen, the idea of Stephen Krashen's or Stephen Krashen's theory is it's considered it's called input theory or sometimes you will hear comprehensible input theory. The idea here for language learning is it's more of an idea really than, than like TPR was very specific. Input theory seems more general. The idea is that as long as you have plenty of input and you can understand what is happening without paying too much attention to the language itself, there's the trick, you will learn a language and absorb a lot of the rules by observation. Eventually you'll start producing language too. Oh, one might almost call it natural learning. Yeah, again, I can see where the word comes from in this mm -hmm. one as well. That's yeah, right. I, I, I like comprehensible input. 
but sometimes I doubt that I like it because it's comfortable because I, I, I like reading. I like listening to stuff. Yeah, who doesn't, right? And, right. So sometimes I wonder, am I just using this as a sci- sort of it's scientifically backed? I just then like bopping along to Rosalia like, yep, yeah, I'm learning. Try, try, you know? <laughs> yeah, how much does this actually like teach you? So I think there's, with input theory, there's almost like you've got to have a trust that you will eventually start producing. I think mm. if you never, if no one ever solicits production of language from you then you can quite happily bop along understanding a lot and being in this sort of perpetual silent period which some learners that might be fine for you right that's not really an issue so it almost comes back to goals right but I did think about this a lot and I thought this is kind of how this is how we like polyglot on the internet kind of this is how most people go about it what most people really really bring in it has you'll be interested to know Lindsay it has been critiqued um as, as every good you know as every good academic theory every good theory it's like shots fired pew 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 there's peer review and stuff so Rod Ellis who if you've never listeners if you've not heard of Rod Ellis he's written a bit of a classic in the old field of uh teaching languages not on the internet <laughs> but he's written second language acquisition uh that a little bit of a classic and it's kind of worth looking at as well it's not a very big book and it's sort of an introduction to the field linguists view so do check that one out i do want to give a caveat here to what the crashing thing is and rod ellis and all the research that you read i've read a lot of this research and because of what can be studied and quantified they tend to look at english learners because those are large groups that are available and they look at them in classroom settings because, you know, measurable and stuff. So mm. there is a kind of gap in research, academic research in independent language learning. I think there's a few sort of pods and people are starting to look. And in online as well. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. And in online. We talk about this a lot in, in Teach Languages Online podcast about how like, okay, here's research based on a classroom of English learners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always is, always yeah. is. So so that is the thing. And the critique says it doesn't consider what, what Rod Ellis calls it negotiation of meaning. So I guess that means there's a silent period and or does it mean what do you think? That it that you're just silent for ages, or does it mean you sort of lack what's called procedural knowledge, which means you don't really like you see a lot, you observe a lot, you sort of get a sense for how things work, but you don't really know the rules. This was the same with the TPR thing they mentioned, right? About how you just do the movement at first and you don't speak. And I didn't ask you at the time and I was going to. Why can't you speak from the beginning? Same with this. Why can't you, as you're, you know, reading or listening to something that's comprehensible input that you Mm. understand the general gist of, why can't you then start to speak that out loud or rewrite what you read so that you can be beginning to produce something that you already recognize without having to produce it yourself, you know, like make it up from scratch yourself. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is a step that you could totally just add in here to then begin to produce a little bit quicker, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Just to mm-hmm. get yourself used to the the whole kind of process. I think you have you have provided me with the perfect segue, Lindsay. Oh. Oh, into the <gasps> third of our approaches. <gasps> That's me, I must say. Which is the, the communicative approach. <laughs> so Lindsay's parking her Segway outside Ooh, the little house and beep, it beep. says, communicative approaches, come on in. And you open the door and someone hands you a leaflet and says, interaction first. <laughs> so interaction first approach. And this is the last one. So we've seen the story time. We've seen the TPR in, in Karya de Djaith, which is my example of a language teaching retreat i suppose uh, so, and then the last one is is they call it communication really uh, the interaction first approach and this approach in general so if we haven't really got one inventor it's it's not really a again it's it's more of an attitude i think is is a teaching and learning approach that cares less about correct grammar and more about boosting a learner's interaction skill and as I was reading the Wikipedia article of this, as always, excellent, excellent summaries. It also st- includes study of authentic texts, which I don't think we would normally consider in the communicative approach. So to me, this feels like a lot of the kind of 
what we what we might consider modern methods or you know when you look on the internet and someone's got a method it's usually a sort of focused around interaction first and it definitely feels to me more modern than anything that sort of wants to put the grammar first or the rules first but it's not really a, a method as such I mean I guess you could just you could as a teacher you could just come in and talk I'm reminded of the Indonesian lesson that we once did at the polyglot gathering do you remember that yeah yeah that was really good yeah can you describe it so basically uh maria right maria teacher, um mm -hmm. just started like head first you know there was no, there was nothing written on the board she was saying a thing we were repeating it was kind of like a real life rapid fire michelle thomas style lesson so <laughs> She'd, no explanations at all. Yeah, no, no explanations. She'd say a thing, we'd repeat. She'd say another thing, we'd repeat. She'd then put them together, we'd repeat that together. She'd then ask us a question, we'd repeat the answer. And it, was, it just, it flowed really well. It was very quick. It was very intense, but it was really, really good. Absolutely. And I guess you could, you could teach with that and people would come away definitely feeling like they have communicated and to me that is that is kind of the the criticism that you had of the other methods which are well why does the learner have to be so silent this mm. one doesn't this one doesn't put the learner in a role where they have to be silent at all it kind of pushes the learner to speak and produce and create some kind of communication as early as possible and and that is i think more modern i uh, don't think it's 100% good or bad um I, I think people people would probably consider it very very effective very very like effective in the sense of quick i think as a learner it might make you feel it might make you feel as if there is a result like i'm saying result with little speech marks as the, the quickest one do you know what I mean? It might like, oh, sorry, I have a more eloquent show note here. It says makes learners feel functional very early. And there's lots of space for creativity and fun. And it would work at any level. Like no matter, like when I do immersion retreats, definitely my learners, uh, I, I don't take complete beginners. And the way I communicate with learners is very much focused on this. Mm. But you're not, you're not sold on this one either then. Um, to be honest, I mean, you, you've got another note here that says just because it's more modern doesn't mean everything before it is 100% bad, right? Grammar translation method, for example. Mm. I feel like it's very easy and perhaps a little too common to kind of poo-poo everything that's come beforehand. And I don't think that's necessarily the best way to go about learning a language and to go about thinking about learning a language because there's... There's got to be something in that, right? Because until this idea of communicative approach was created, appeared, right? People learned languages successfully at that at the time using grammar translation method, using the means that they had, you know, they maybe didn't speak as much because the reason for learning and the what they would have done with the language would have been different at that time. And then things went on and things changed. And I think if you can find almost your own method that incorporates these bits. I think this is why it's good to talk about language teaching methods and stuff, because if you can then know a bit about each one and go, oh yeah, I do do that. Oh, that's what that is. You know, like this, you know, it's things like role plays and interviews and scavenger hunts, right? If you think, oh yeah, I do do role plays. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm already doing this without realizing. And I actually like that. And I do find that effective. You can include that, keep including that. But then if you also find that, you know, the sort of grammar translation style also works for you and keep including that as well. Don't feel like you have to be in one lane and that's it i agree i agree and this this is really where where ultimately it comes down right you know i think like grammar translation method it might feel really old but i i often work with this like like on retreats or something like that not necessarily that specific method but i do work with an exercise for five minutes for 10 minutes for half an hour that somebody might consider like old-fashioned but because it's in the setting of a very modern approach where mm. actually we're in a whole communicative environment and we are we you know we're doing immersion and we're doing the stories and we're doing all the other things it it really doesn't matter it, it really is about for you as the teacher about knowing what tools are out there and then putting together your own 
putting your own spin on it almost, which is a lot of, you know, if you're a school teacher, that's a lot of responsibility. But at the same time, if you're an online teacher, like listeners, if you, you know, if you have an online teacher who, who does this well, this is what you're paying them for. You know, really thinking about this and really observing what works for students. And something I wanted to say as well, is like, I think the communicative approach does have a drawback, another, like definitely, which I have I have observed often is, especially in a group where maybe you've got a shy person, you've got a person who's more outgoing. First mm. of all, as the teacher, you've really got to observe your shy people, your quiet people, your maybe your more introverted people, and you have to make sure the balance stays, right? And it, it can make a learner feel almost deficient. You know, it, it can demotivate a learner because they feel like they failed when something is too challenging. Mm. So the input theory approach is is kind of nice because it works with that what's it called the margin of the zone of proximal development that's what it's called which is this i can just about do this it's hard but i can do this i've got this you know mm-hmm. whereas the um the communicative approach should also do that but it does require a teacher who who has first of all a group where they can you know have a sense of how everybody's functioning in the in the group's size and then secondly i wrote down some feingefühl because i can't couldn't think of the english word um it it needs you to have a bit of a bit of a feeling you know for what's going on and a bit of sensitivity to to everything around you so i think communicative approaches ask of the teacher to actually have a lot of empathy yeah that's true that's true which means that if you are applying this then to self-study, that empathy almost, you almost have to kind of separate yourself from yourself and observe your, ob- observe yourself, you know what I mean? So that you can be really honest and say, okay, how am I doing here? I feel like I'm I'm failing a bit here. I feel like I'm kind of a little bit weak on this point. Why am I feeling that way? What can I do to raise my confidence again? You know, you have to be the one to then observe that if you're in a self-study environment. Oh my God, that is so true. And that is, that puts the finger so well on, on um, the, the psychology of a solo learner, you know, like, and it's what we observe, like you and I both, you know, we do the coaching and we teach and we, you know, we create things for solo learners. I think like me, you probably observe quite a lot of self-criticism mm. and people feeling stupid and people beating themselves up. And the other thing about solo learning that you don't really have in a group class that is that is kind of managed by a teacher is that with solo learning you are forever observing what everybody else says and presents about their work mm. and you're forever comparing which i think in a group environment isn't quite as strong really yeah i think there's more of a sense of we're in this together and i mean there there, there are like i think language league for example has because it's an environment where we 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 have we have set the scene and said we are all in the same boat that's mm. different but out there on social media where everybody's doing their beautiful bullet journals i think it's really easy to feel inferior i think equally in a class setting though in a more traditional class setting not talking about something like language league it it can still be easy to feel that same sense of oh you know, they got X, 10 out of 10 on the test and I only got nine. Oh, no. Mm. You could still definitely fall into that trap. True, true. So I think and- in, in, in either case, you still need to own some of that responsibility of your sort of self-empathy. Of, yeah. You know, assessing your, yourself and your, your learning styles and whatnot. So that sensitivity that, that a teacher takes to selecting different methods and to observing and, and ensuring that a student stays positive and motivated, that when you don't have a teacher and you're teaching yourself, that responsibility is part of your learning duties mm. that falls on you. So this is, a, this is a really good final observation, I think. So I think I will, I will leave it there. So that was our, our walk, our guided tour through a few teaching methods Listeners, I would love to hear whether you have whether you're a teacher, you've tried any of these out, you've got any thoughts, or you've observed any of these, or one of these, you know, it particularly jumps out to you as, you know, the solution or something like that. I would love to hear what you think. We're always, you know, we are language teachers, we are language 
observers of language study methods and teachers of language study methods. So I think me and Lindsay both, if I if I could speak for you, Lindsay, like you, we want to hear it, right? It's it's interesting to me. It's fascinating. We, we. I was trying to think <laughs> of the Welsh word for yes, but there isn't one. Mm-mm. No, there's like seven million Oof. annoying ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, moving on from that bombshell, let's talk about events. Let's do it. Go! New segment. We're talking about events, polyglot events 2020. God, I've not quite got as many, much time left for this as I would like in the episode, but I do want to kind of give you listeners uh, some options and some some opportunities to try and plan your language learning year. So we've got one, two, three, four, five events that I want to talk about. And Lindsay, I will give a name and then you tell me what you know about it. Okay. All right. Women in language. Um, date, <laughs> date TBC. Um, not happening in March like normal this year. All hosts ridiculously busy at the same time. True. True. I'm giving you bullet points. <laughs> is that what you're after? Are you going for like a quick, quick fire? Yeah, well, what is women in language? Just in case anyone has never, ever heard it, in a nutshell, first of all, let's, let's, let's describe it. Start at the beginning. Okay. Women in language started when I was walking home from Walmart one day in Mexico. And I was thinking, <laughs> huh, International Women's Day is coming up in a few months. Wouldn't it be cool to do an online language event where we get lots of women in language talking about language <laughs> um and then i mentioned this to kirsten and then we mentioned this to shannon and then we wrote a list of potential people and the list was too long for one day so it became a four-day event that was in 2018 and then we ran the same event last year 2019 and again big success and then we wanted to run the same event this year 2020 but we're all just ridiculously life and work busy at exactly the same time and it was being pushed back by a week and another week and another week. And then it got silly and it was like, okay, let's figure out a time we can do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So Women in Language is an online conference where uh, it lasts between three and four days. Or we've always done it for four days. So it lasts four days. It's presented by me, Lindsay, and Shannon Kennedy, who you recently heard here on the show. Uh, you don't have to leave your house because, like we said, it's online. All the speakers are female. That's our quirk. And everybody talks about language. And we're celebrating and amplifying the voices of women in language. Usually, it takes place over the weekend that includes International Women's Day, which is the first, sort of the first or second weekend in March. Unfortunately, this year, like Lindsay said, we just couldn't. It's we really, really tried to make it work, but we we have we have to review the dates. We're going to look at a different date, but we do want to make it happen. So keep your eyes out, and you'll hear it really here first on the podcast. Keep your ears open for the Women in Language Conference next, Lindsay. Okay. okay. What is this? When is it? And is it awesome? Question mark. The Polyglot Cruise. Okay. Polyglot Cruise. First time, 2020. Happening in April. Happening in the Mediterranean. Organized by Chris Broholm. And is a week-long trip on a cruise ship for up to 100 people, I think. And he's hired off like a section of the ship for us for the talks, for the panels, all of that stuff. And then every day we arrive in a new place. Amazing. And all together there's like five languages because it's like Barcelona. So they've got Catalan, Spanish, then you go to Italy. So there's Italian, you go to Malta, so there's Maltese and you go to France, I think. So then there's French. It's all, it's all very exciting. And it's around the Mediterranean, which is one of probably the most beautiful places on earth. I yep. love the Mediterranean. It's it's amazing. Uh, Lindsay is speaking. I am speaking. So we're going to be on the boat in our little sailor outfits or whatever. And <laughs> you know, greeting you, sharing. I know I'm going to be talking about creating language learning habits and sort of how to build your habits in language learning. And we are also going to be just available and it's kind of a chilled out place and you get a cruise, but you get to indulge your language nerdism. The dates are eight. 18 to 25, 18 yep. to 25th of April. 
this year. I believe there are still a few last minute tickets up for grabs. So if you want to do that, I'll put it in the show notes. Check it out. The Polyglot Cruise is something different for sure. Next up, something I have termed the Cholula Party. <laughs> what is that about, Lindsay? So I'm going to assume this is the Polyglot Conference. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a little X, you know, like a really cool reggaeton song where they're like Rosalia X Osuna, right? That kind of thing. So Polyglot Conference X Langfest, mm, as far mm-hmm, as I'm aware, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Cholula, Mexico, October sixteenth to eighteenth. That will do. Yeah. That is it. So um, it's kind of like in the 90s, you know, when they said versus polyglot conference versus Langfest. Now it's X. So the polyglot <sighs> conference, which is an annual uh, kind of the, the daddy event. So it's an annual event, um, annual get together of polyglots where lots and lots of people get together and lots of lectures happen and you can try out different languages and speak them to each other. The Polyglot Conference last year was in Fukuoka, Japan. Now it's moving to Cholula in Mexico, co-organized by Anja Spurka from the Burn and Learn, so you get fit as well. And it's, I don't know, not, I don't think this is permanent, but this year it is collaborating slash merging with Langfest, which usually happens in Montreal. So everybody's going down to Mexico and they're all going to have a party. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Now, there is the next one on my list. Uh, I wrote Poland. Why did I write Poland? Do you, does that tell you enough, Lindsay? Okay. Polyglot gathering happening in Poland. May? June? I think. In a small village outside of Warsaw. That's right. It's happening in Terezin. That's what they say in Polish, or Terezienstadt, as I call it. The polyglot gathering. A... I just every time, just such an enjoyable event. And you were correct. It's May the 26th to May the 30th. So about a month after the polyglot cruise, you could cruise all the way up to Poland. It is 30 kilometers outside of Warsaw, all in one kind of hotel area. So people can really hang out and you get that feeling of being, it's, it's almost like a carryout at Yaith, really. Dun, dun, in dun, dun, dun. Maybe it's got a theme tune. So the polyglot gathering is happening then, and we have both been to many polyglot gatherings. I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Are you going this year? It's got its own kind of kind of quirk. It's got its own kind of atmosphere. It's it's always got a lot of Esperantists. I'm, do you know, I didn't really plan to go, but now I'm talking myself into it. <laughs> <laughs> so I might, yeah, I might look into it. I might look into it. I've never been to. Terezin. I've been to Warsaw and I've been to Poland. Every time I've been to Poland, I've really enjoyed it. So it's not, um, it's not out of the question. What about you? I don't think I am this year. Ah, well, how about the Edinburgh language event? That's the last thing I've got on my list here. Ah, Edinburgh language event. End of February, beginning of March, like the 29th of Feb and the 1st of March. Happening in, drumroll please, Edinburgh. Not that that was a giveaway from the name. And it's the second time it's happening, but the first time that they are now in a sort of collaboration, I guess you could say, with Polyglot Conference. Ah, so it's like a sub, sub event. Sub event. That makes it sound smaller, like a dialect, but that's not necessarily the case. (laughs) So is it going to be really big? Because last year we had, a, we had a fairly small get-together and it was so much fun. I, th- I think, yeah, I think it's fair to say that last year didn't go as expected for anyone, unfortunately. Um, but I think this, yeah, I think this year is going to be much better in the organization sense of things. So I may be going to that. I'm not 100% sure yet. I, I'm... This is funny because Christian asked me the other day, like, why did you write in the calendar that we're moving house in the last week of February? And I, I'm almost doing like, I don't know, maybe I'm doing law of attraction or something. I just wrote it in a calendar. I am convinced, 
um, listeners, you, you don't know, maybe um, I'm moving into a new house and the new house is not quite fully built yet. So I have to wait until they've built it and said that we can actually move into the new house. And that might be in February, it might be in March. But for some reason, I'm completely and utterly convinced that in the last week of February, we are moving house. So I've put it in my diary. I'm holding that space. So I'm not going to be in Edinburgh because fingers crossed, I'm going to be moving house. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's hope that the house is actually going to be finished. So that is kind of where we're at. So listeners, just a quick recap. Women in language, Polyglot Cruise, Polyglot Conference X Langfest, or that kind of general event in Mexico that is happening in October. Then we've got the Polyglot Gathering happening at the end of May in Terezin near Warsaw in Poland. And then there's the Edinburgh Language event at the end of February. More choices than you've ever, ever had to attend a Polyglot event. I hope you make it to one. Let us know. And the way to contact The Fluent Show, just to remind you, is on Twitter at The Fluent Show or on Instagram using the hashtag The Fluent Show. Or you can also email hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk. And if you do want to send me an email, then please, please consider including an intro so that I've got plenty of intros going as well. And these are our plans for polyglot 2020 as they stand at the end of january that we are recording this right now Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the show today <laughs> it was a fun one i think that means you're welcome <laughs> it means welcome and you're welcome which i really like it's on the signs it is on the signs yeah uh, so you can tell Lindsay is excited to learn Welch, I'm still struggling on or going forward with my Mandarin Chinese studies. And that's all from us for today. Uh, do check out the Easy German podcast. Don't forget to visit our, our sponsors link at fluentlanguage.co.uk slash read more and download an episode of the Teach Languages Online podcast. I'm going to put one in the show notes that has me on it. <laughs> just in case you haven't heard my voice enough right now. It's a great episode where Lindsay and I talk about the business side of our online teaching experience. There's plenty there. And that is it really from me. Lindsay, anything else that you'd like to mention? I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Bye. Huil. Huil vaur. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show by leaving a review in your podcast app or even becoming a member of our Patreon community where our supporter perks include a secret feed full of added show notes and a VIP option where you can get priority answers to your listener questions on the podcast. Don't forget that you can send us your language questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show or Instagram hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you and read every message and review. See you next week.